Welcome to Wilderness Podcast, a passion project about wilderness and wild places, with your host, Adam Bronstein. Hello, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Wilderness Podcast. If you're listening via web browser, I encourage you to exit out of that, pick up your smartphone, and search for Wilderness Podcast in your favorite podcasting app. Look for the green logo with the bear. There you can subscribe to catch new releases, go back and listen to past episodes, and you can pick up where you left off with this one. So with the next episode, I'll be releasing the first of five or six episodes in a mini-series I'm calling Wilderness 30 by 30. It's, of course, in response to the initiative to protect 30% of the land and ocean on planet Earth. I always make the argument on this program that Wilderness is the gold standard of conservation, and it is our best chance to protect biodiversity and to address the climate crisis. So there'll be a lot of great discussion about landscape-scale wilderness conservation efforts, and also where wilderness may not be the best option. So we'll deep dive into the discussion around that too. In this episode, I speak with Sally Ferguson, Executive Director of the Selway Bitterroot Frank Church Foundation, SBFC. We talk about her background, the mission of the SBFC, Central Idaho Wilderness Areas, how Idahoans value wilderness, creating advocates by virtue of deep wilderness experiences, how they work with the Forest Service, noise pollution from small engine aircraft in Idaho wilderness, SBFC's trail and stewardship programs, and all about their volunteer opportunities. So if you'd like a wilderness experience doing trail work over the summer and are eager to connect with our public lands, I encourage you to visit SBFC's website, and there'll be a link on the episode page if you go to wildernesspodcast.com. So I hope you enjoy the episode. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, Sally Ferguson, thanks for joining me on the program today. Well, thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to it, Adam. Yeah, I'm so glad you guys reached out, and you cover quite a big area of land up there in, in Idaho. We do. The Selway Bitterroot Frank Church uh, Wilderness is for about 4 million acres. It's managed as a complex. The two areas themselves are, are divided by a very narrow ancient pathway called the Magruder Corridor, and um, the area is managed as a complex. I need to spend more time up there, admittedly. I usually head right Mm -hmm. through to the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, but it's such an important stepping stone up on the Yellowstone to Yukon pathway, and it's really quite the miracle that we have all this great wilderness in Idaho. So can you tell me about yourself and your background? Oh, sure. I am, I'm a big outdoor recreationist, and I actually moved from Portland to Idaho back in the late 70s. I joined SBFC in January of 2014. I loved the mission, and they were really at a, a perfect point of needing to grow into the next phase of nonprofit uh, organizational development. I have a 20-plus year career in nonprofit management. My master's work is in organizational management and development. And so for me, um, it's been a perfect alignment with conservation advocacy. I'm really a believer in, in strong organizations because strong organizations are able to have a strong footprint and get really important work done. 
So over my career, I've built many grassroots conservation advocacy organizations, small ones across the Western states. And I've also established a statewide trails association here in Idaho. I've also been lucky to be able to create hundreds of new youth internships opportunities with public agencies across all the Western states. So I'm pretty passionate about getting people out into wilderness and onto their public lands because uh, over time I found that experiencing wild lands, whether it's winter or summer or in between, really changes lives and it creates advocates. I'm just curious, what are some of the other organizations that you were involved with or helped found? Sure. Winter Wildlands Alliance which was, is based here in Boise and works in all of the Western states. I worked for the Student Conservation Association, which is a national nonprofit that works with federal and state and private organizations as well um, to create, uh, I don't know how many thousands of, of internships for college kids every single year. And I, I founded the Idaho Trails Association, which is based here in Idaho, obviously, and it's a statewide outfit that does trails work um, in and out of wilderness. So those are a few of my most recent affiliations and background work. So you're the executive director with the Selway Bitterroot Frank Church Foundation. Can you tell me about the mission of your organization and uh, just about the organization in general? The Selway Bitterroot Frank Church Foundation assists the Forest Service in providing stewardship, for the Selway Bitterroot and the Frank Church River of No Return Wildernesses and the surrounding wildlands through boots on the ground work, public education, and partnerships. That's our mission, and um, it's pretty, it's pretty um, narrow and it's also pretty broad. Basically, what our organization does, what SBFC does, is provide an increase in capacity to the Forest Service to manage and, and uh, conduct wilderness stewardship. That's exactly what we were founded to do. And to meet that mission, Adam, we, we accomplish it through community organizations, backcountry horsemen are so important to us, youth of all ages, um, different community members. And then we also work with the universities, colleges, all of that level of um, partnership. We are not a youth conservation core model. We value youth. We value um, and working with youth. And part of what we does is really integral to youth, youth development. But we are not first and foremost a youth conservation outfit. So that's what differentiates us in being just a stewardship organization. Uh, we were founded in 2005. SBFC was founded initially as the Selway Bitterroot Foundation by precinct forest service managers on the Bitterroot and the Nez Perce Clearwater National Forest and a community of committed wilderness professionals and recreationists. They, they were experiencing and uh, looked into the future to see that the Forest Service capacity to manage the Selway Bitterroot Wilderness would continue to decline, and every year there would be fewer agency boots on the ground to provide wilderness training, wilderness management, and stewardship. In fact, since 1998, the number of Forest Service staff working on national forests has declined by at least 40%. And these are positions that will never be replaced. So we operated as a volunteer organization uh, and led volunteer wilderness projects on the Bitterroot and the Nez Perce Clearwater National Forests each year. 
And then in 2008, the first executive director was hired and an office was established in Missoula. And then in 2010, we received our 501c3 designation. It was in 2011 that SBFC was asked to start working in the Frank. And that's when we were renamed the Selway Bitterroot Frank Church Foundation. And in 2013, SBFC opened the Boise office, which is where I am. And it's now the headquarters and our Missoula office is uh, our program's office. Okay. And uh, who founded your organization? And is there an interesting backstory there? Well, I think one of the most interesting things about our, our organization's founding was the fact that the Forest Service was really instrumental in leading the uh, establishment of the foundation. So the Forest Service uh, in U.S. Forest Service Region 1, which is in Missoula, had a wilderness leader, Chris Ryan, and she had a lot of support. And so she found some startup funding for the foundation to get going. Other Forest Service managers, Deborah Gale was down on the uh, Bitterroot National Forest, was another uh, manager who really was committed to establishing the foundation at the time. So those are the two names that really pop into my head um, because they were Forest Service and so committed to the wilderness area and so aware of the work that needed to be done. What is special about the places in which you work? And do you get out into the backcountry at all? Yes, I do. Every year I get out for at least three weeks. Our projects, our volunteer projects are all multi-day. And so I prioritize being able to get out with staff and our Wilderness Ranger fellows and also our fabulous volunteers for five to six to seven days, depending on the location. I think one of the one of the things that strikes me every single time I get out there is the incredible history of the Selway and of the Frank. Both both areas are so their histories are so similar and so diverse at the same time, and they're rich and um, you know generations are still connected to the histories of of both of these wilderness areas not only through um, having been, you know, placed and working at the guard stations, for example, Moose Creek Ranger Station, but also just living on what are now in-holdings in the Frank Church. We have a board member who grew up over in Dixie, which is, you know, right there on the edge of the Frank and is a pretty remarkable uh, story in and of itself. So, I think what really strikes me about how special these landscapes are is not only that, you know, we ha- as as humans have a chance to visit them, we also have opportunities to learn about the history that um, transcends generations and also um, is still so rich and relevant to all of us right now. And can you tell me a little bit about the ecology there and the wildlife? Uh, do you guys um, consider wildlife with uh, trail impacts? You know, we do not do um, any new trail uh, establishment. We simply um, ensure that the trails, trail work that we do work on uh, is done to wilderness specifications. We don't necessarily reestablish any trails that have, have gone and are off of the maps. In terms of wildlife, you know, it's always a thrill to spot a wolf or bear or other wildlife um, in the areas that we're working in. 
but we, I think in terms of wildlife, you know, what we focus on is trail restoration that improves riparian areas. So it stops any kind of damage to watersheds and also to any kind of areas that are, you know, would be impacted by more human use. Well, you know, the other thing that we do, we do a lot of wilderness character monitoring and we work closely with the forest to ensure that um, they are moving the needle towards their wilderness stewardship performance objectives. Uh, each forest um, that, the forests that manage the Frank and the Selway established those, those uh, objectives to ensuring that wilderness is managed and maintained to uh, law. So that includes things like solitude monitoring, which you're probably familiar with. And um, we do campsite inventory, we do invasives, those kinds of things. We don't necessarily go in and, and do any wildlife work or assessment. So for the wilderness character monitoring, what does that program look like? Like what sort of coverage are you doing? Do you visit the same places every year? And what's the frequency of visits? The Chief's 10-year challenge ended, I don't know, a number of years ago. And there were a couple of years where the forests were sort of re-establishing re, um, how they were going to monitor and manage wilderness to certain characteristics. What they came up with was what we call the WSP objectives, the Wilderness Stewardship Performance Objectives. Each forest sends 10 for their wilderness area. The Frank is managed by a working group of four forests, and so they all agree on what those wilderness stewardship performance elements are going to be. So, for example, the Frank, um, you know, is a collaborative working group managed by the Salmon Chalice, the Payette, the Bitterroot, and the Nez Perce Clearwater National Forest. The Boise is also part of the Frank, but the Salmon Chalice is the lead for these wilderness stewardship um, initiatives. So they set those, and each year, um, SBFC will go out and monitor certain uh, components that they assign to us. Trail specifications, solitude, invasives are three of the the areas that we do uh, much of every year. We we like to do, as an organization, um, deferred maintenance work. One of the things that we do really well is get people out to do really um, skilled work in very remote areas. So we take trained professional staff and our wilderness ranger fellows, and we'll send them out for, you know, eight to nine days at a time to work deep in the wilderness and get this particular, you know, the particular work that's skilled, that requires skills and also uh, monitoring skills accomplished. The Salmon Chalice worked with us, this will be three years ago, to reestablish and to uh, formalize the Wilderness Stewardship Performance protocols, collection um, protocols, tracking, entering, and then also created a document um, that Wilderness Rangers, SBFC staff, SBFC fellows go out into the wilderness and take with them, and they monitor the same areas over a period of time. So there is now really wonderful consistency in data collection and data management. SBFC hired and partnered with the forest to provide a staff person who, with a master's in, in wilderness uh, management to create 
those new protocols and get them rolling. What are some of the attitudes you hear from Idahoans about wilderness? You know, that was a really great question. And I talked with our staff about it. And what we have found, and I, of course, have been out, I go out every year, and I I work pretty closely with plenty of our volunteers, Idahoans and Montanans, because we work in both states. And then people from across the country have really wonderful attitudes about it. Uh, wilderness for these folks is a great unifier. And that is our attitude. And that is our mantra. We don't talk politics when we're out there. The beautiful thing about talking and being in capital W, w wilderness is that it's a shared value. And so when we get people out there, we focus on educating them about not only caring for it, why we do certain things. And then we talk about things like you and I are just discussing wilderness steward performance, um, how being out here and enjoying yourself while um, clearing trail is a much bigger accomplishment than having a lot of fun with, with like-minded people. Tell me what advocacy and education work that your organization is involved with. SBFC is an advocacy organization. We conduct wilderness advocacy efforts through wilderness stewardship and and education. Um, Every year we contribute upwards of 14,000, if not more, volunteer hours to wilderness work. So that's a lot of people out there on the ground. That's a lot of opportunity for SBFC staff to talk to people about the value of their public lands and what wilderness really means. The founders of the foundation um, agreed that the biggest need for this 4 million acre wilderness was stewardship and the existing conservation advocacy organizations that were out there, and there's a number of them doing terrific work in both of our states, were not wilderness stewardship outfit. They were doing it at at a city and a town level. They would take people out periodically, but they would, the focus was advocacy at a different level. So, we we consider we've been called non-political and simply that just simply means that we don't actively lobby or conduct campaigns for more wilderness or nor do we um, lobby for any other kinds of of wilderness you know related changes now as individuals our board members and staff certainly are are advocates for um, those kinds of, of efforts. There's no question. But our advocacy, Adam, is work on the ground. That's not only how we educate people, that's how we help them understand the power of their voices. We have a Wilderness Ranger intern or fellowship program, and a component of that is community engagement. So what we do at the end of their service is introduce them to county commissioners in Idaho, and we get them with Montana legislators and Idaho legislators when we have the opportunity. We spend time educating them on what being an activist is, since they they just spent 14 weeks being an on-the-ground advocate. Next move is to become another kind of advocate, the kind that supports wilderness and supports public lands and writes letters and meets with their congressionals. And we, I, I think we have been successful. I run into wilderness ranger fellows periodically who are 
um, advocates and hiking the hill and and uh, doing other kinds of um, outward advocacy. And that, that's the intention of our, our program. Okay, I like that. You kind of let them find it for themselves. And uh, the experience, I'm sure, fosters a lot of that. How do you work with the Forest it, Service in, in your different programs? It, it does. Well, you know, one last thing I want to add to that. When we, get, when we bring all of our, our uh, young men and women at the end of the season, um, we bring them in and we give them, you know, community advocacy training. What I make a point of saying to them is we've given you a really fabulous opportunity. We're grateful you've worked so hard, but your job now for the rest of your life is to go out and advocate passionately for wilderness and for public lands. That is your responsibility. And I want you all to take that incredibly seriously. Um, I'm not sure that (laughs) it means a lot to me to say that to them because I'm not sure anybody else is really out there saying it just like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, as as I described earlier, Adam, the Forest Service was instrumental in putting SBFC together. Um, the goal was always to build a strong wilderness stewardship organization that would expand the Forest Service capacity for management, and was based on collaborative working relationships. Um, the boots on the grounds work was needed, um, obviously. Uh, because the Forest Service, you know, was willing to admit they couldn't do it anymore. The other additional concern was that traditional skills needed for wilderness work would be lost, with people retiring out, with fewer people on the ground, someone to teach crosscut saw use, axemanship, all of those things. So, correspondingly, we had to work with them and embrace education and training uh, skills as a significant part of our mission. So the U.S. Forest Service is our primary partner, and our primary pur- purpose, which we all acknowledge, is to to increase capacity. The Selway Bitterroot and the Frank Church wilderness areas are managed as a complex, as the largest wilderness in the lower 48. There's, you know, there's a lot of nuances to working with them. The the forests we work with four forests, two Forest Service regions, and six ranger districts. And as you would imagine, every unit has a, a, a different culture. On these four forests and managers in six different districts, um, we have to have really close, high-functioning relationship. Each community that the ranger districts are, are posted in have really different cultures, and their communities have, have varying perspectives about public lands. And that really impacts and flavors the relationships that we have with our Forest Service managers. I have great respect for our Forest Service partners. I say that with with transparency and honesty. The managers that we work with are committed to the wilderness resource, and they do their very best most of the times to support SBFC's effort to conduct wilderness stewardship performance monitoring and of course, the emphasis is always on opening as many miles of trail um, to wilderness specifications as possible every season. I will admit that um, attitude at the end of the season, sometimes our wilderness ranger fellows, fellows will be scratching their heads and saying, well, it seems like all we did was trail work. And, um, you know, when it gets done to wilderness specs, that's still wilderness, good wilderness work. 
although we do really try hard to make sure they get a balance of experience. I think there's incredible pressure on Forest Service to open as many trails as possible. And there's also pressure to, um, you know, categorically exclude and allow chainsaws in the wilderness. And that also fires SBFC up to accomplish as much as we can. Are you saying that you support chainsaws in wilderness? No, no. What fires us up is working harder with crosscuts and talking to legislators and talking to county commissioners about why crosscuts are more effective and why, why chainsaws do not belong in the wilderness. We do not own any chainsaws. SBOC does not own them. We do not train in them. We are all about traditional tool use. And we, we, that is how we advocate for traditional tool use and do our very best to ensure that chainsaws are not permitted in the wilderness. Okay. Ever. Yeah, I have a, a lot of respect for the Forest Service folks who are working on wilderness programs, too. And it's got to be really tough to get some of these top-down mandates. And, you know, funding is always cut to wilderness programs first. And I'm sure that's why they really like when organizations like yours and the Bob Marshall Wilderness Foundation steps up to, to do this. You know, I'm, I'm, also, I'm very critical of the Forest Service on this program uh, at times. But um, I'm always also very supportive of people within the agency who are trying to do the right thing. Yes, I agree. You know, those champions have a really hard time. I have a lot of respect for the managers in Region 1. You know, they've kind of been the lead on on wilderness management in a real true, true sense of the word and implementing wilderness skills. There's just a really wonderful ethic in region one. But the flip side is with, you know, a decreasing number of staff and more pressure from up above, all of us as citizens have to help hold the line in every single way we can to make sure that wilderness is managed to, you know, the specs in the Wilderness Act. Absolutely. It's definitely a a duty we have to make sure that those values are protected. So what are some of the human impact issues that, that you guys see in the wilderness? And do you disassemble fire rings and clean up trash and all that and that sort of thing? Yes, we do. Interestingly, you know, much a lot of the work that we do in the Frank, deferred maintenance, really remote areas, we've spent the last six years working on the Marble Creek section of the Idaho Centennial Trail, which is about a 25-mile long, super remote, really wild area where the trail has disappeared, but now we've, we've been able to refine it and, and reestablish it. Those are the kind of projects that really matter a lot to us to get out there and do that deferred maintenance. But we also began, you know, over the years realized that working up the canyons over in the Selway out of the Bitterroot, for example, um, which get a lot more use and particularly in, in the last COVID year and with the growing populations, the work that we do is really important Yes, we remove trash. Yes, we, um, you know, we cut trees that seem to be in, in uh, you know, weather-prone areas that, that every year have some kind of a microburst or something. So we do a lot of, a lot of re- repetitious work that's critical. In terms of human impact, yet last year for sure, working closely to well-accessed areas, um, you know, in the Bitterroot and some on the Nez Perce Clearwater, the Franks probably less. 
you know, there's areas like the Bighorn Crags, for example. I'm not, not sure if you had a chance to get up there. Really beautiful, really popular. And then, of course, the flip side is a location like Marble Creek, which is a really critical section of the Idaho Centennial Trail. But you could definitely spend a week in there and maybe not see anybody else. And noise pollution, is there much from small engine aircraft uh, in the areas that you work? And is also, is noise pollution, is that considered or accounted for in your wilderness character monitoring? Yes, it is. That falls under solitude monitoring. And that is something we do every hitch on every district. When you're at a place like Moose Creek, 25 miles in into the Selway Bitterroot Wilderness, there's a big landing strip and there's always planes in and planes out. That's part of the experience of being in, in Moose Creek, for better or for worse. There are other landing strips over in that area. There is a new one that the... Um, fish and game established over in the Frank that definitely provoked the ire of some wilderness managers. In terms of of an increase in noise pollution, I can't really give you a conclusive answer. I think that what we find is there may be an increase, uh, you know, of fly-ins over at Moose Creek, for example. And I think that's a very safe statement over the last year and maybe even two years. They're anticipating it again this year. But I don't, I don't really know. I can't say for sure if there's a huge increase in hunting activity that has increased the number of um, flights into areas of the Frank. Yeah, the aircraft noise has actually kept me from visiting up there more than I than I otherwise would. Do you know mm-hmm. of any campaigns that are addressing noise pollution from small engine aircraft at all? I don't know of any. I do know that there are some organizations that are really um, have been really solid at bird dogging the effort to close any uh, landing strips that are have any vulnerabilities. I don't know how. Forest, I, well, I do know Forest Service wilderness managers don't love those landing strips and they don't love, you know, expansion of existing landing strips. Which ones are you talking about, about uh, in terms of noise? I'm curious. Oh, I don't, I don't know the names, but I, I just noticed that there's a lot of plane traffic um, kind of through all of those wilderness areas. You know, people want to get in for pack rafting and um, they do mm-hmm. those touch and go operations. Uh, I've noticed yeah. a lot more plane traffic up around salmon, for instance, and it just seems mm-hmm. to be this this growing issue. And and um, especially as people, you know, get more wealthy, they 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 buy more toys. And you know, the whole point of wilderness is to is to make it a little harder, right? You kind of have to earn it, and it just feels like it's <laughs> it's cheating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I also know that you know there's you know the backcountry. Pilots Association is is a very they're very focused on ensuring that the existing airstrips don't go away. But I really don't know, Adam, what the percentage of increases are in in pilots and and numbers of planes going in and out. Um, that's something we don't track. We do count them, and I probably could go back and look to see you know, what the numbers have increased in certain areas uh, look like. But that said, you know, the Frank still remains incredibly remote. And, um, you know, we we do work in plenty of places that 
don't have any landing strips. Once anything handy to the river corridor, you're going to have, you're going to hear more of, more of the overflights. But well, maybe I'll pick your brain someday and, and try to find the, the quietest area that you guys might recommend. Uh, let's sometime. get a map out. Yeah, okay. I'd love to. Let's get a map out and we'll take a look. Okay. It's um, possible. Tom, yeah, we could do that at some point. Um, tell me about your trails program. So how does that operate and what are your crews doing? And it's got to be a great summer experience for people, a great bonding experience too. Yes. We have we have three, I guess the right way, we've got three programs. Our Wilderness Ranger Fellowship is, um, we started that in 2009. And this year we'll bring 10 fellows on. We recruit these men and women from all over the country. We select um, students who are, you know, junior, senior, some are master's students um, for our program. It's a rigorous program. There really isn't a lot of other um, models like ours. It's a 14-week immersive experience. We um, we provide about three weeks of training that includes wilderness first responder training, wilderness act, um, the whole kind of suite of uh, more academic focus, and then um, we we get them there their crosscut saw certification and um, provide them with all the rest of the stuff they need to spend 11 weeks living for nine days at a time out in the wilderness, opening trail, monitoring wilderness uh, conditions. So that's one. We always have a, um, a professional, what we, we call them lead wilderness stewards who lead the, the interns. So we have groups of four or groups of two and they all have an SBSC prof- professional paid leader. We have a trail crew. Uh, this year we'll have a five-person trail crew that is exactly that. They're opening wilderness and wildland trails. And then we have, in a, tr- in a typical year, last year we hadn't, and this year we have a pretty reduced slate, but we have a volunteer program that's quite robust. As I mentioned earlier, in 2019, we contributed 14,500 volunteer hours to um, our wilderness areas, just volunteers. Um, that doesn't count the, the paid staff that we put on. Typically, we'll put on between seven and nine seasonal staff, and they are paid for 20 to 22 weeks, and they work for us. After they also go through the same rigorous training, either doing trail strictly trail work or leading volunteer projects and leading our wilderness rangers out there. They, they're a pretty remarkable group. And I like to say that we build the team. We, we hire our wilderness ranger fellows in subsequent years. We um, usually will have a number of our paid staff return year after year. And so we really kind of build the team and keep, keep it going. That feels great. So this year we will have, and I encourage your listeners to check out our website. Um, we've got single day projects and we've got a few multi-day projects. We're, we've got to host them a little bit differently because of COVID. But typically we'll have, uh, I don't know, 15 volunteer multi-day volunteer projects where people join us. Um, we provide pack support for the food and uh, a lot of the equipment and, you know, often for people's personal gear. 
and then uh, we feed we feed people while they're out there, teach them how to use the equipment, and teach them about the wilderness area they're working in. So it's a pretty it's a pretty fabulous and deluxe experience. So you have volunteer opportunities and paid job opportunities. Uh, do you have any job postings right now people might want to know about? We actually have filled our seasonal and our wilderness ranger fellow positions already. We'll, we post them in December. Okay, so people so can check them out can for next back. year. You bet. You bet. And they can come, come join us. Last uh, year before last, we opened over 500 miles of wilderness trail, opened, cleared, and maintained. What would you say is the most important thing about the work that you do? Well, that's a great question. I have to say that I am really passionate about our Wilderness Ranger Fellow program. And the reason for me, Adam, is that it hits every star. It educates youth. It offers leadership opportunity. It creates advocates for wilderness and wildlands and public lands. It's, tra- it's a transformative opportunity for, for men and women who want to come and kind of get their world rocked and give back as well. It opens trails. It teaches wilderness stewardship performance uh, monitoring. It teaches what wilderness is all about, and it really instills a value for our public lands. So I think the way that we uh, meet our mission is beautifully met through our Wilderness Ranger Fellow Program. What would you say to people who are planning a trip? How would you tell them to plan ahead and prepare? That's a great question. Here's kind of a little bit of a plug. Margaret Fuller is an Idaho author who um, has just written a second edition of, it's called Trails of the Frank Church. And the first edition had a foreword by, um, it was supposed to be by Frank Church, but it was instead by his wife, Bethine, because Frank passed before he could finish the introduction. Um, then Frank passed in, in um, I think, 84. This edition um, has 101 backcountry trails for hiking and backpacking and equestrian use. Um, Margaret has written the most comprehensive book on trails of the Frank Church ever, anywhere, bar none. And um, I was fortunate enough to be able to work with her in this new edition. And um, she also asked me to write the new foreword. For it, and it came out in January 2020. So I would unequivocally recommend that book, and I think we sell it on our website. I also think that what you brought up earlier, Adam, about solitude, um, accessibility, it, it really depends on what level of experience someone wants. You can go into the Frank, for example, and have any just about any kind of experience you want, remote, rugged, or um, entry level. You know, the Bighorn Crags has a gnarly drive-in, but once you get there, the trails are well-trod, and you can, um, you know, easily navigate your way through some of the most beautiful country in Idaho. In terms of the Selway, Bitterroot, there are also just incredibly beautiful, accessible trails to high divides, stunning lakes, and a range of, of, um, you know, beginning, intermediate, and, and, and very challenging experience. I have seen a couple of books um, for the Selway Bitterroot, but I also know, um, for example, the West Fork District of the Bitterroot National Forest um, is a 
really terrific jumping off point that people should definitely um, feel free to reach out to. On the other side, um, the uh, Moose Creek Ranger District is now uh, over on the Selway Road in Lowell, Idaho, off of Highway 12. And they have a visitor center there. I, I'm not sure what their staffing hours and accessibility is with COVID, but I'd encourage reaching out to that district too, because they have all the most updated information. Um, there's also another ranger district over in Kuski, Idaho. Okay. Well, we covered a lot of great stuff. Is there anything else that you want to leave us with? Well, I, I don't know. Is there anything we, we missed? I, I mean, talking about SBFC is like talking about one's children, right? <laughs> You're just crazy about it. <laughs> so I don't want to wear anybody out. But um, probably, Adam, I would say, consider coming out on a volunteer project with SBFC. It's fun. It's educational. We, we bring marvelous people out to the wilderness. And we are really good cooks, too. And our packers often our cowboy poets. Okay. All right. Well, I'll make sure to post links to your volunteer program on your episode page. And where can, uh, what's your website address for folks to find you? Sure. It's selwaybitterroot.org. And that's just S-E-L-W-A-Y-B-I-T-T-E-R-R-O-O-T. Okay, there you have it. All right, thanks for your time, Sally, and all the great work that your organization does and your dedication to wilderness. This has been a very enjoyable conversation, so thanks for your time today. You are so welcome. Thank you, Adam. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wilderness Podcast. You can find us online at wildernesspodcast.com. Don't forget to subscribe through your podcasting app. If you'd like to support this podcast, please visit wildernesspodcast.com backslash support. Thanks for listening.